Hi there, I'm Heather Hightower, founder and owner of the Center for Vocal Study, located in Charlottesville, Virginia. I'm really glad you're here. This whole podcast is really about encouraging you. The name Finding Your Voice was an intuitive choice. We want you to have more ways in to relate to your body as a whole, because your voice is a constantly shifting instrument. You could say that this podcast is about vibration and freedom. With your help, your embracing of your own voice, you will listen on a new level, you will feel on a new level, and you will cultivate beautiful pathways towards self-expression. And because of your lived example, more people will experience the power and beauty of deep listening, connection, and empathy. Our world is not suffering from an excess of creativity. There is need for more heart in this world. There is need for your heart in this world. Now is the time to share your voice. Your voice is needed, and only you can share your voice. We aren't attached to where or how your music takes shape or whether or not this is even a musical journey for you. We are interested in you stepping forward and saying yes to your voice, yes to this journey, especially if it is calling to you. And there are some of you listening right now who know this is your work. You know you've got what it takes and we are talking to you. It takes courage and bravery and allowing forgiveness and gentleness and discipline and grit. And when the road gets long and you feel weary, it certainly helps to have people around you who understand. It is a worthy endeavor. You do not need to know more than what you know right now. We're here whispering in your ear, go forth. We are right here with you, cheering you on. We are all in this together. Your voice matters. You matter. You are love and you are song. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and we will see you on the other side. I'm Heather Hightower, and welcome to Finding Your Voice. With Heather Hightower, today's special guest is Sandra Bain Cushman. Welcome, Sandra. Thank you. Thank you. There's so much I want to know. Um, what do you want people to know or understand about your field? Tell us a little bit about what you do and who you are. I'm a teacher of the Alexander Technique, and I specialize in working with musicians and singers and groups. And... And what I'd like people to know about the field is that there's a whole lot more to the body than we think. There's a lot more we can find in terms of freedom and expression and openness than any of us even dream about. Can you tell us about Alexander and where this came from? Alexander was an actor. He's a Shakespearean reciter, the people who used to go town to town like vaudeville. And he chronically lost his voice. So what Alexander did was he went to a doctor and said, you know, help, I, I've lost my voice and I keep losing it. And the doctor gave him throat wash, this was way back in the 1800s, and told him to rest. And actually, if you went to a doctor today, you'd get about the same 
And so Alexander did what the doctor said. He went and he took this big gig and he got on stage and halfway through his performance, his voice was gone again. And he said, you know, it was really a crisis for him. So he went back to the doctor and he said, I've reasoned this out. It doesn't not make sense that there's something I'm doing when I'm on stage that causes me to lose my voice because it was fine. And then it wasn't. And the doctor said, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And Alexander said, well, what am, what am I doing? And the doctor said, I have no idea. And so Alexander said, very well, I'll find out. And so he really did spend 10 years studying himself. Mm-hmm. And in that time, he decoded the tension habits that were causing him to lose his voice. Mm-hmm. And that was early on in the process. But then he started noticing things like He had asthma from the time he was a little kid, and that went away. And then he had all these other, he was always weak, and suddenly he was really strong, and his acting got great. And then he had colleagues who came to him, and pretty soon he had this huge studio. And then he moved to London and worked with, you know, George Bernard Shaw. George Bernard Shaw and all the opera stars of the day, and and he became the guy that you went to. Specifically, they called him the breathing man, the man who could start out your breathing. I have heard that story about Alexander a number of times. I'm wondering, do you weary of telling that story to be able to lay a foundation for your work? And do you have something you would want people to grasp onto without having to hear that setup of where it originated from? Or, or is that really central? Do we need to know that? Inevitably, it comes up because the technique's named after him. Um, Although I realize now, I used to hate that story because you just think, oh, I'm telling the story again, the Alexander story. But then I realized a few years ago that if we begin to use this work and we find that the work is beginning to give us an improvement, let's say in our singing, we actually become him. And we spent 10 years studying our coordination. I mean, we have the tools he discovered to help us. He had to do that. He had his own genius where he discovered those on his own. But if we don't do what he did, we won't be able to make this our own. So now I really respect the story. And I realize, you know, before it seemed like this thing this guy did. And then I realized one day, no, 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 I did it. Mm. And you do it. Mm. Anyone who gets into it has to solve it for him or herself with the guidance of teachers. Yet when I walk into a room to teach the technique to a group, I almost never tell the story. Mm. I just jump in, and we jump in with the assumption, a few assumptions, actually. There are a few key assumptions in the work that I like to deliver right away so we know what we're working for and Mm -hmm. toward. And then there are lots of particular things we can do, procedures, games, you know, understanding the the, um, components of the coordination, things like that, that we bring along after that. But... One of the first things is really what Alexander did, which is he stopped what he was doing and he figured it out. He sat down and said, okay, there's something that's happening here that's in my way. And I think we have to do that. We have to say that right away because otherwise we're not going to solve the problem. You've got to sort of see the problem before you're going to invest in solving it. And then the other thing is to realize that we're using too much effort. We move our bodies around like they're dead weight when in fact we have built into us an anti-gravity system within which the breath is really free and really buoyant and really alive. And as long as I move my body around like it's a stack of building blocks, my breath is getting squashed. It's just being squashed. The life's being squashed out of me. But when I shift paradigms into this open, springy, childlike movement, then everything becomes available. I've called this podcast Finding Your Voice in part because... um... 
it's something that people seem to ask for. And there's sort of this paradox. It's like, it might take a lifetime to find your, find your voice. And also your voice is already there. It's so I see our work as helping release the voice, releasing the authentic voice, helping you understand your body as an instrument, helping you understand how to work, work within yourself and then how to sort of meld that with the world around you and follow the music as it, as it goes. And there's such a dance between doing the technique, building mm. this instrument, and we're creating a relationship with, a vo- uh, with an instrument you can't see or touch in, in something we use every day, but we don't always necessarily think about. There's such a, an interesting thing that happens when you're working with singers. And when you are singing, it's like, you've got to do the work. There's a lot of thought involved to know how do I make these little intervals? How do I reach that note? What is that? What's the diction there? What's the word there? What's the language here? What's the piano doing there? There's so much happening. And then, and then by the grace of God, we slip into these moments where we can think the line mm. and the body does it. And, yeah. and, and I see your work as facilitating, facilitating more of those moments. Yeah, exactly. And actually, Alexander wrote about that, that we, we think of those moments as sort of a gift of grace. They are. I mean, they, they show up and suddenly you're in the flow or you're in the zone and it's just happening. But, but we come to it by trial and error in relation to the body. Yes. Um, and what he pointed out is it doesn't have to be that way, that we can cultivate in ourselves a responsiveness and a connectedness and an awareness that means those things happen so much more often. Mm. And, and the phrase I keep coming back to, it's actually not my phrase or Alexander's, it's a man named Robert Fripp, a guitarist, which is, becomes reliable and repeatable, those, those moments. You can, if you do the work, you can find those. They just show up. You know they will. Mm. which is really lovely. It's lovely for a singer at any level to know that I can make that connection. Yet, I'll probably make the connection better if I do it before I even begin to vocalize. That I have to do it, maybe when I first wake up in the morning, I have a sitting practice for 10 minutes or a lying down practice, which is an Alexander exercise where you take yourself out of gravity to make the connections. Um, Or I just pay attention as I walk around. And I notice how I'm walking and I notice that I'm not pitching my weight every which way. And I think the biggest thing, it's something you were just saying, Heather, how we're somehow, something is broken in our culture at the moment. And I think a lot of it is that technology has robbed us of our attention. Mm-hmm. And it, it's very fragmenting of our attention. And so I think people seek out music and they seek out Alexander work and they seek out week-long retreats in the mountains to regain that continuity of attention that people actually used to have. Yes. People used to sing together. It's just what you did. Yes. And now we have to create, we as the people who are passing these gifts along have to create situations where that can happen, which you've done at the studio. Thank you. Yes, it's yeah. beautiful what's happening here. And it, and it has been a conscious effort to create a space and a space that is spacious. Yeah. We see singers of all different levels. We have... Uh, conservatory-bound high schoolers, we have um, pre-professional adults, we have longtime choristers, we have consultants who just have this sense that they want to be coming from a more authentic place. Um, so what would you say to somebody listening to this who is, doesn't identify as a singer, but does feel a desire to connect with or find their voice? 
well, I don't identify as a singer, but if you put me in the car with, with a Patsy Cline <laughs> in my sound system, I sing my heart out. I think everybody's a singer. I think children just sing, right? And then we learn. Yes. Then somebody tells a child he or she's tone deaf and it's over. But that's uh, that's real. That's yeah, that's a real wound. It's true. And I have worked with many people to release that wound. Yeah, and a lot of the wounds that actually happen in our lifetimes register in the body. They get stuck there. Yes. And they get stuck there is what we would call in Alexander work speak attention pattern that we have this pattern of tension in the body that's just stuck and we think of that as us you know like oh my shoulders are always tight or my back is always this or this is always that way or my knee I mean I have people come in in their 20s saying they have arthritis in their knees and I'm 60 and I go no you don't that's ridiculous Um, but they're feeling all this pressure because when we get that tension that's locked up that defensiveness um, and in the men it's usually the chest and the legs are really braced and in women it's a little different we kind of pull in and down Mm -hmm and make ourselves smaller. Men tend to make themselves bigger. It's very cool to go to an Alexander workshop for like a week. And people walk in and the women are all kind of pulled in and the men are all really overexpanded. By the end of the week, everybody looks about the same. Your legs are under you, your chest is softer, you're looking around, you're connecting to the group. And and we we let go of some of those characteristic gender-based tensions, but also we let go of some of the wounds that we're protecting from the time we're really young. And, and one of the ways we do that is by taking the body on in an objective way, like learning what the relationships are within the body and how the interplay among those relations gives us this lightness and this ease. And it's really hard to hang on to the heavy, restrictive stuff when you're feeling lightness and ease. So for me, it's always you have these, you have these two options at any given moment and you think, eh, maybe I'll try the lightness and ease. You know, if you don't like it, you can always go back. <laughs> That, it's so simple, but yeah. there's, oh man. And my teacher used to say, she was actually trained by Alexander in the 1930s, and she was 87 when I met her. She still rode horses at that point in her life. Um, but she used to say, this is actually so simple, we almost can't learn it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, I was actually working with someone here in the Sunday class. We have a second Sundays class in the Alexander work. And the person was working with sort of something really difficult like a bit of an aria. And then and then as we just began to free up a little bit physically, he, he went right into row, row, row your boat, which was hysterical. <laughs> and it was just like, because he became a kid and it was no big deal anymore. And he wasn't going to like try for this. But then if you can take your row, row, row your boat self, that free, fun, playful self into the aria and and be able to take that expressiveness of, that joie de vivre of, yes. of the young person yes. into the aria, into the complexity of music, that's where the that's where the real creativity mm-hmm. lives. And that's what I think people who are professionals, they get to that, right? Mm-hmm. You can't, you couldn't keep just grinding it out. It has to be fun. It has to be alive. There's nothing more disappointing than watching a mechanical uh, musician. No, it's awful. And I can't even watch, I have to close my eyes. I can't watch the bodies. Because when someone's being mechanical, the body looks robotic to me and very stiff. Oh. So there are a few things I've gone to, right? My, I'll go to a concert with my husband and I look over and I've got my eyes covered. <laughs> <laughs> Lest I go up on stage and start moving someone around saying, oh my God, free this up. <laughs> what is the biggest misconception about your work? The biggest misconception, and it's funny because if you watch an Alexander lesson, if you watch a one-on-one 
it looks like we're fixing posture. It looks like we're adjusting position. People call it um, that you're manipulating, you know, like a chiropractor or a body worker or a physical therapist. And all those things have tremendous value and merit, but that's not what this is. This is helping the body release as a system into a higher way of functioning. And it's dependent upon our consciousness. It's dependent upon our attention. So as you're moving someone about, you're engaging that attention. You're asking the thinking to come along and notice what's available in the body. And for some reason, this work, and I think it's largely because it makes that demand of being conscious, it's still fairly niche. It's a fairly niche thing. Performers who assume they have to work on themselves, they'll do it. People in a lot of pain that nothing else has helped, they'll do it. People with a real motivation. But other people are like, why would, why would I do this? So one time at a cocktail party, I gave somebody this very elegant description of the work. And the guy looked at me and said, why would anybody do that? And I thought, fair enough. I mean, it's very demanding. But singers know they have to. If you don't improve your instrument, where are you going? Nowhere. Nowhere. And I would say, in the, if we describe the whole paradigm of singing, if our body is the instrument, particularly our vocal mechanism, but, but I would call it the entire breathing coordination, which for me goes from the soles of the feet to the top of the head. So if your breathing coordination, your physical body is your instrument, Alexander technique is the thing that tunes and maintains the instrument in a particular way that then makes what you learn from your singing teachers possible. Mm -hmm. So that it's not singing technique per se, it's like a pre-technique, how do I work on myself? So you wouldn't get up to play your viola with the strings all loose and it's untuned and, and you haven't you know, done anything to it in a year. You don't just take it out of the, out of the case and go do that. And, and yet people run around all day paying no attention to the way they're moving their bodies and they come and they expect to sing. Mm -hmm. And um, I have one more story and it's about a cellist which is, it was a guy I was working with in a group setting. And then I had him come in one day to play the cello while everybody else did the lie down because it was really beautiful. He played really beautifully. And, and so he came in and he was using all the things we'd done. He was up on his sit bones and he was looking around the room and he was freeing his shoulders and it was beautiful and it all was great. And about 10 minutes later, I saw him out sort of in the lobby of where we were, totally collapsed in his chair. And I walked by and I said, Hey man, what about your sit bones? And he looked at me and goes, well, I sit on them when I play. And then I said, yeah, and imagine how you would play if you sat on them all day long. Thanks to our guest, Sandra Bean Cushman. For more information on her work or how to work with her, visit orchestralmaneuvers.com. That's O-R-C-H-E-S T-R-A-L-M-A-N-E-U-V-E-R-S dot com. I'm your host, Heather Hightower, founder and owner of the Center for Vocal Study. Our producer is Emily Gaddick. Our theme song was written by me and was lovingly brought to life by singers Madeline Holly Sales, Stephanie Kowalczyk, Lori Durr, and Joanna Lott, recorded by Bobby Reed. Finding Your Voice was produced at the Center for Vocal Study in Charlottesville, Virginia. Head to our website, centerforvocalstudy.com.
www.ebsa.com for more information on our private lessons, teachers, and programs. We work with both individuals and teams so that you can share your voice with freedom and ease. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Center for Vocal Study. And wherever you are, you can find more episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. <laughs>